Many men struggle with what it actually means to be a man. But can the faces we wear to appear man enough actually be masks hiding issues underneath? I'm Leo Allen, and on this episode, I speak with Corey Hilton. Corey spent some 25 years as a well-known male exotic dancer. He has since moved on from that space and has gone on to author his new book, Take It Off, which is his raw truth based on his 10 core values and how he overcame his self-worth struggle through introspection and authenticity, which liberated him by taking off the layers long after he chose to put his clothes back on. Never forced, never coerced. Open discussions about things in life that matter to you most. From tech to TV, movies, and gaming, and everything in between. Visit voluntaryinput.com to subscribe, contact us, and find out how you can support the show. Catch new episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and everywhere else you listen to podcasts. Welcome to Voluntary Input. Corey, I want to thank you for coming on the show tonight. How have you been, sir? Thanks, Leo. Uh, yeah, really good, actually. It's uh, springtime in 2022 in British Columbia, Canada, so the weather, snow's melting and the sun's out, and I couldn't be happier right now. So, yeah, thanks so much for having me on, man. man it's, gotten a, it's gotten a little warm here. Uh, we've been in yeah. the 70s last couple okay. of days, but then we're expecting snow next week. But that's Ohio. That's our weather all the time. <laughs> yeah, like I say, you know, you just never know what you're going to get. But at the same time, we're all alive and uh, any day above ground is a good day in a lot of ways. So oh. I'm not even complaining when there is snow happening. <laughs> Amen to that. Uh, so if you could, <laughs> tell everyone a little bit about yourself and, uh, you know, why you wanted to be on the show. Yeah, so um, I just, I honestly, I love doing podcasts. Uh, I've been an entertainer in my past, and I still have a little bit of that flavor in me as far as just really, uh, I guess that's part of my creativity. I do enjoy that side of it. But um, now I'm actually, as far as my lifestyle goes, I'm in a completely different realm in my former life. And um, I really am enjoying promoting that because um, for myself, I was my in my former life, I was in a very unorthodox and original type of colorful career, I guess you could say, uh, as a male exotic dancer. And I uh, did a lot of traveling across Canada and the U.S. and and hit some highs and some lows and had many, many stories that were in between over uh, a, a quarter century of being in this insane career from 17 years old till 43. And so, you know, like I say, it's not so much about my past, but what I can do with the value of, of the mess and my message from my past to be able to be uh, the best coach I can be in uh, my, as far as my self-help uh, end of things. And um, my focus is on authenticity. So when it comes to that, I've lived a very inauthentic life at times um, underneath my mask of my alter ego on stage. And up till just a few years ago, believe it or not, I really couldn't reveal what was underneath that mask and, as far as my inner self and really being an authentic person. So through my uh, struggles, I'm trying to help men over 30 who really struggle with lack and uh, really emotional disconnection and, and unworthiness, just things that I've actually struggled with. And a lot of guys do, um, but I just saw it through a different lens is all. And, um, you know, but they're all relatable struggles that so many people, especially men deal with. So that's my mission now is just to really use that, uh, that platform to my, uh, to my advantage and make an impact. Well, there's a, there's a lot to unpack there, but let's, yeah. <laughs> let's start kind of there from is. the beginning. So yeah, sure. 25 years, now, I don't know a lot about mm. that industry, but that sounds like a long time to be in that industry. My understanding was always that most people don't last that long. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you're right. But at the same time, um, I think it's all really, you know, if you love what you do sort of thing. I did love what I did. Um, you know, a lot of people think they have their stereotypical um, impressions about what it was like behind the velvet rope. Uh, and we've only, you know, for some of us out there, they, you know, I, this is why I wrote my book in a lot of ways was a lot of people wanted to know what it was like. They didn't want to, they didn't want to necessarily go do it, but they wanted to know what it was like. And so for myself, I was documenting a lot of that stuff through my uh, long career in the industry. And by doing that, um, I was really, I wasn't even realizing, but I was documenting so much value at that time. Um, just like I say, based on uh, some of the ups and downs and the fun stuff. And, and, but really what it really came back to was um, really emotions for my, myself anyways, like I actually was a little, well, I was quite emotionally disconnected as a kid. I had a very loving family. Don't get me wrong here. Like, like I grew up in a really good situation um, overall, but there was an emotional disconnection that was really uh, up the chain of my family uh, through uh, really to, to the point of people that I never even met in my lifetime. My great my, my grandfather's mother was somebody that had mental health issues and the depression and had committed suicide. And there was just a chain reaction of things that kind of came down that pipeline. Um, my father was in the military, so he was kind of programmed to uh, basically not show emotion. So there's a lot of like, factors that came into play. But as I realized, looking back um, through, I guess you could say, my own introspection, I kind of realized that the, the, these things that happened, I, I'm not here to blame these things. Uh, I'm just trying to be aware of these things and understand why they happened and connect those dots. Um, and so by doing that, I realized that uh, I always had a very big addiction to emotion um, from an early age. And that actually, believe it or not, when I went into the dance realm, I was able to extract emotion out of my audience, whether it was laughing, crying, screaming, take it off, whatever it was, I was extracting emotion out of that audience. And I literally sucked it up like a sponge. And like, that was where I got excitement through my creativity. So where I was lacking in one way, I really went into an industry where I could really, I could get what I wanted and get that acceptance in a weird way from not only my audience, but the peers that I was surrounded myself with. And some of those things, those, some of those people I surrounded myself with weren't the right people at times. Um, but at the same time, I really created a lot of memories and really created a lot of amazing relationships. And for me, that's part of what's life, what life's all about in the first place in a lot of ways. And so I don't have a lot of regrets, to be completely honest. My, my main regrets really are relationship-based as far as the way that I treated some of my partners. But out, outside of that, um, as far as my dance career goes, I, I really don't have any regrets. I was never really, um, I guess you could say, brought into it and and uh, exploited in any way or anything like that. It was never like what the there's, there's no drama there. You know, I think that the that really a lot of people think it's a magic mic world out there. I wanted to show um, the reality of what it was like, the real true story of of all of it, everything from sex, drugs, rock and roll divorce um just everything that kind of came with the territory in a, in a very unique way so i jokingly say if my life was actually a compl comprised of three movies it would be probably uh, magic mike forrest gump and joe dirt you throw all those three <laughs> together and you got me pretty much so uh, you know you got to be able to laugh at it sometimes and just i say, was hey, with you until you threw joe dirt in there i'm like you oh got, my gosh yeah, there's, a, there's an element of joe dirt in there man there really truly is because i i was a i, I think we all got I, a little joe dirt in us actually <laughs> Yeah, you know, but I'm as a Canadian saying that too, right? Like, I mean, that's the funniest part, right? Like for me, I lived I lived my life here, but then I, I got brought into a new world in the southern United States for a decade. So like, you got to realize that it was a bit of a, 
you know, it was a bit of a cultural sh- shift, I guess you could say. And I, <laughs> a I shock, saw some more like a culture yeah. shock. <laughs> yeah, you could say that. I, I, I kind of, um, it was just an interesting dynamic because um, for myself, I was born and raised by, you know, in Canada, in, in just outside of Vancouver, British Columbia, and very multi- multicultural society, so to speak, a lot more acceptance in some ways. Uh, not, not perfect by any means with any of that, but there was an element of that. And then I kind of just, um, after I, you know, had done so much in my career here in Canada and ended up going to Florida, yes, I saw quite a bit more of an in-your-face um, I guess you could say realization. I, I woke up to a couple of things. Yeah, I, bet. I guess you could say. And yeah, so when, when we, we we talk about, you know, like I don't even want to get into. It. I don't. I don't really speak through religious or political ideology, to be honest. And I don't write through it either. I really don't. I avoid it like the plague. Um, but I just kind of saw that that kind of gave me a true realization going to different cultures, even going to the Philippines and stuff made me really realize that um, there's a lot of people out there that see through a different lens than I do and to really understand uh, and try to really get feedback from people that maybe I even disagree with uh, just so that I can actually uh, be a better person. Cause when I can understand someone that I disagree with and for myself anyways, um, it just allows me to be able to respect their perspective and hopefully have them do the same for me. I don't have to agree with everybody. Right? There's a lot so, of that missing nowadays. And I think that's uh, at the center of a lot of problems that we have, especially here in the States is a lot of people not trying to actually understand one another. Like people aren't listening to each other anymore. It's all about winning arguments or winning so-called debates. And unfortunately, a lot of those debates are on social media and those aren't really debates, folks. I keep trying to tell people that that's not a debate. That's just you posting your opinions. <laughs> yeah, it's an air, it's an airbrushed world on there, my friend. You know, everybody's trying to they put out their their cell of themselves and they're not really actually being authentic in a lot of ways. Right. Like, I mean, Absolutely. for me, being, I don't have to be, you know so authentic that I'm rolling out of bed with my hair all messed up and and just doing a doing a video in my bed in the morning. I don't have to be like that. But at the same time, I am authentic as far as who you see is who you get every single day now. And, and when I was selling myself as something that I wasn't in my former career, it wasn't always like that, right? So I'm not here to claim perfection by any means. I just had some very, very good experiences being so imperfect in so many ways, yet trying to be perfect. And that's a dynamic that's a slippery slope a really slippery slope. Now, so, and a lot yeah. of what you were saying, you said that uh, you were getting these emotions and you mm-hmm. said, and that's kind of in a weird way, but I don't think that's weird at all. Cause I think a lot of us, if not everyone mm-hmm. has that need. I think it's just a human need. We have this need for emotion and connection and Absolutely. you weren't getting it where you would traditionally get it. You know, you'd expect that at home in family and those closest to you. So of course you, you went where you knew you were, you know, you, you got that emotion from where you were at. And I don't think that's so weird. It's actually kind of, that's kind of just human. Yeah, you're right, Leo. I mean, and don't get me wrong when I say that. It's not that I, I didn't have anything. It's it's just that for what I'm getting at is, is when you're raised by a generation that's a lot older, like they have a lot of old school values, right? So I appreciate the values of morality and integrity that my grandfather instilled in me. I appreciate the words that he said to me when 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 I was at the in, in a dangerous situation or I was in a situation where I'd hit rock bottom from doing drugs or something and you know where I was in the, really in a tough in a tough place by myself and really alone. And I mean alone to the point where mm, a little scary. 
And by having those words, even though he was all the way across the continent and didn't even know that he saved my life in that moment, he really did. And he's passed away now. But but all I'm kind of getting at is, is that I guess like, you know, I saw emotion. It was just few and far between a lot of the time. So when I saw it, it embedded really heavy. And so words and things from them really made a difference too. Like uh, as a kid, you're when you're a little kid and your 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 parents say something to you, you take it for real. And Absolutely, so, yeah. Uh, it, it, yeah. So sometimes those things can can cause they can cause trauma. Like they're little t traumas, but they can cause trauma enough that it causes you to to either make moves in one direction or maybe even to be too fearful to make moves in other directions that could benefit you, right? So I've just come to a really big realization, especially in this last couple of years, where where I just kind of come back to, like, you know, I was, again, I was in this perfectionist game. Um, I started off actually in a, at a very young age, like I said, 17. I was underage to even be in a bar, and I was going to work in a club while I was still going to high school, which is just crazy in its own right. But we have to I'm touch just, on that. <laughs> yeah, sure, sure. But yeah, we definitely. But all I'm getting at is, is that I guess like um, I was due to emotional disconnection. I could never really find like it was almost like I was always looking up or looking down at someone. I could never really look them in the eye and find that definite, that other level of consciousness with someone. And that was a struggle that I had with relationships really because being in this perfectionism game from a young age of being, trying to go on stage as a bodybuilder and doing that whole process and, and, you know, dieting down and being on stage, that was an accomplishment through discipline that got me acceptance. And so, but it was the biggest comparison game you can imagine literally comparing your body to the next person over. Right. So it's one of those things that the more, the freaker you can be um, freak to be a freak mentality right. trying to outdo people. <laughs> yeah. Right. So you had that element and then you go into this dance realm where, and it, where it was again, comparison and the, the better that you were, the better looking that you were, the better body that you had, the better show that you had, the more money you were making, like it all just kind of tied together. So it's kind of a vicious circle um, of perfectionism. Right. And so when you're always trying to keep to that standard, you don't even realize the things that you're doing to yourself. Right. Like I didn't realize the, what it was doing to me, right. Internally. Right. Like, and so I would rather have, had my inner self balanced more in comparison to my exterior and to have been able to have carried relationships better and to be able to have connected instead of just communicated so many times in my life. Right. So, but we all just learn this off of wisdom. I just had a very unbalanced uh, case of that. Right. So going back to what you were asking about, about, you know, when I was 17, it was really simply that I was just looking for acceptance, just like any other kid at that age, like in high school. But how school did you or... get the job? I don't understand. How yeah. did you, <laughs> let's just go straight to the point. How yeah. did you end up there? Yeah, now, yeah. wait, you did say you, so you were doing bodybuilding at, as a teenager and then. Yeah, sort of. Um, well, I, I was, I was doing my first bodybuilding contest at 23, but, but like, and that was way back in 1992. Yes. I just dated myself, but <laughs> oh, don't um, worry. Yeah. I, I, I'm dated too. <laughs> <laughs> hey, we get better with age. My friend. Exactly. Take I tell my kids line, all right? the time. I don't get older. I get better. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Not old, just older. That's what I always say. Anyways, but, uh, but yeah, you know, I mean, it was just one of those things where, um, I was kind of in school and I was getting bullied and I, I, you know, was in a position where I'd really, I was, that was kind of out of control and shocking and knocked my pride down and my self-worth down quite a bit. And 
I just got to the point where I was, well, what can I can, what, what I can do is, is I can control, um, my body. If I go and start working out and get myself really big, well, maybe I can just avoid having to be bullied and it worked right by just building my exterior. Nobody messed with me anymore. Um, And so that was just something I could control. So did that. And then what kind of came, that was a bit of a domino effect because what happened, I started, um, my, my environment changed. I started hanging out with some kids that were a little older and uh, one was a couple of years older and I was 17 now. And I'm at, I was at the uh, gold's gym at the time locally where I was at. And this one kid says to me, he says, Hey, uh, you know, I work the door at this club. And he goes, if you throw on a university shirt, I'll, I'll let you in. Right. Because a few, a few of the people from school are, you know, kind of coming down there and I let them in or whatever, as long as they're not uh. getting too crazy. So I said, okay, sure. So I took off his offer and there was this one girl I was of course interested in. And she was one of those kids that was at the club. So naturally I said, yes, throw on a university shirt, come down there. Nervous as all hell. Um, get into a bus, I think, take the bus down there at seven o'clock when the doors open, show up and there's not a soul around. And I'm like standing there with my friend at the door and awkward. And uh, the manager comes <laughs> up and he says to me, he says, Hey, how you doing? And I was like, good. And he says, what's your name? And I said, Corey. And he said, are oh, you going to school? And I said, yeah, and well, I was going to school. You were. Know, high school, and then uh, next thing you know, he said, "Well, he goes, you looking for a little extra money?" And I was like, "Who isn't?" And he kind of said, "Well, yeah, um, take your shirt off." And I was like, "There's nobody around," so I took my shirt off, and he said, "You're hired." And I was like, "Okay." And he said, "Well, you got to be here on Tuesday and Thursday nights around this time, and you only work for till around eleven o'clock, and you serve drinks for the ladies with no shirt on, and..." Um, yeah, basically you collect 15% of everything that you make off of the bar and you, you take all your tips home. And here I was a 17 year old kid getting offered that. Right. And I'm yeah. like, kind of going, sign me up for the contract. I'm down. Right. So that happened. And then I told my grandparents about it and they kind of said, well, as long as your grades don't slip and you promise you don't get messed up on drugs, we're okay with it. Just don't let that happen. And so I was like, okay. So I took the bus down there. And but did you tell them what you would be doing? Yeah, oh yeah, they knew. Yeah, they it was knew? just that okay. I was going topless. Yeah, yeah, they knew that. Like, okay. They were okay with it. They, they'd already raised a generation of kids, and they kind of realized if they if you say no, they're just going to rebel. They're going to do it anyway just, and make it worse, yeah, so, right? <laughs> right. So, so I ended up in there, and then it kind of it's just honestly, Leo, it just kind of story starts from there, man. It's like you know, and it really as crazy as it was, like there was lineups of women down the street at ladies night back then in 1987. Like it was at the heyday of that stuff. And like, you know, yeah. it was your, it was your Terrence Trent Darby and everything just rolling <laughs> and all that right back yeah. in the day stuff, right? Wishing well. Yeah, yeah. And it was just like that scene, right? Like it was a good time. It was like, it was the, you know, that eighties generation. I don't know. I'm kind of glad that I was raised in that generation. Oh, I say it all the time. Like a, hey, man, yeah, we, yeah. we, we, we had it going on. We didn't know it at the yeah. time. I, I, no, I think no. we knew it. We knew it, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It cool. it, it's that thing when you get older and what's the saying youth is wasted on the young because sometimes you can oh. go, man, what yeah. we had back then. <laughs> I, I, I kind of like just daringly, I'm going to say this. I kind of miss the political incorrectness a little bit. Oh, like, you do, and me both. I <laughs> You know, it was, it was a good time. I just had this conversation earlier. Someone had said, um, he he was talking about listening to, uh, some music, I believe. And, uh, he said, man, this, I was just thinking this kind of stuff could never fly now. And I made the comment. I'm like, well, there's all kinds of stuff that would never fly now. Like any sitcom from the seventies, 
Oh, man. They could not yeah, talk to me. <laughs> they could not talk show that me. stuff now. Now, they do. We have these old uh, television. We have these television stations that play old sitcoms. There's one that's called Me TV. And sometimes right. I'll watch some of these old shows. And I was watching yeah, an episode of uh, Welcome Back, Cotter. I'm like, there's oh, no yeah. way they could show this stuff in the mainstream anymore. Yeah, like back in 1975 uh, or whatever, I think you could claim not being racist by flipping back and forth between All in the Family and the Jeffersons. <laughs> and they were doing I mean, it. They were doing it for a good cause. It was for social awareness. They were, but, but it was oh, the way totally. they the way they presented it. I'm like, they couldn't totally. present that now like that because people totally. were just too sensitive or something in this yeah, cancel culture or whatever. I'm sick of hearing well, that. But <laughs> I, I, there's, 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 I guess like anything, there's like an extreme to both ends of the coin with right. that. And I, I'm not saying that it's bad because, to be completely honest, I think we've made a lot of progress in a lot of ways with that. Absolutely, but at the same time, yeah. we're not far. We're not far enough. We're even close to far enough yet, in my opinion, anyways. But just like anything, though, my friend, I just kind of feel like you know, I'm 52 in April, and I'm still learning and growing myself, right? Like yep, I'm not, too. I'm not too too hard on myself for my past. I don't even like to call them failures, but I call them struggles. You know, and and when it really comes down to it, um, being aware is, the, I think, the biggest thing that I've. I've been, it's been the biggest change for me is being aware and connecting the dots in my past. And this is just through inner work. Right. But, but I mean, yeah, you cannot, you know. um, I, I often say, I, I mean, we've all, we all make mistakes. I've made plenty of mistakes myself. Um, sure. I, I can either just live in regret of them or learn from them. And yep. by really learning, building a foundation on those, mis those mistakes to move on to, yeah. to better things, because, you know, we're all going to make mistakes. We all mess up. Oh, so, God. So if, many if, times, I, if I, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, but I guess like, if you want me to, I'll let you kind of know, like kind of what happened after that in the bar though. Cause that was kind of where everything kind of switched. Absolutely. Yeah. But here's, I worked in that club for a while and, <laughs> uh, and so uh, then the next year I turned to 18 years old and, and they, of course they, they, I was there and I was always on time. My dad always instilled that in me and all this stuff. So I was reliable and they said, Oh yeah. Yeah you know, you want to work the door on Friday and Saturday nights because you're a pretty big dude. And I was like, yeah, okay. So I took on being a bouncer there. So I'm bouncing and I'm IDing people at 18 years old. I'm not even of age to be in the bar and I'm IDing people to come in. I'm standing next to police officers talking to them about their night and stuff. And like, nobody has a damn clue <laughs> on the age that I am. By the time I turned 19, I actually had to pretend it was my 21st birthday just to make sure everybody kind of realized that I'm not, you know. So I, it was just, it was just the whole wow. thing was crazy. So then... Of course, there's every Tuesday and Thursday, there's these male dancers coming in. And up here in Canada, we strip fully naked. So it's mm -hmm. like, you know, the full Monty deal. And so they're all coming through. There's four a night coming through there. And I'm starting to rub shoulders with some of them. And, you know, there's one guy in particular. He was like the Elvis of dancing here in Canada, as far as I'm concerned. He was the best ever. And uh, he held himself with class. He dressed really good. He spoke really well. He didn't speak down to women in any derogatory way. He was just a really good guy and did a great job on stage. So even, but he, the way he presented himself off stage was equal to what he did on stage. And so I always kind of admired him, you know, like for even though, he was in this crazy industry i looked up to him a lot of ways and he ended up being my mentor in the end because he was the one that convinced me to actually go into doing full nude stripping and i swear that i was nightmare i had nightmares about this sort of stuff when i was a kid like just being exposed it was like oh my god this is the worst thing in the world like, i couldn't even imagine it. that dream of going to school naked by accident 
<laughs> right? Yeah, right. Something's <laughs> hanging out and it's not. Yeah, anyway. Yeah. So, uh, right? So I was like always worried about that. And then what do you know? I faced my biggest fear and have him convince me to go into this crazy industry of taking all my clothes off. So yeah, we created a dance name and it took like 10 minutes and we had a dance name down. It was so funny. I remember him saying to me, he said, Corey, he says, what's your favorite movie? And I'm like, I'm a bouncer part-time and I love me some Roadhouse. And he was like, okay. He goes, what's the favorite character? What's the main character in that movie's name? And I says, he goes, Dalton. Or I said, Dalton. And he said, okay, here's your first name. So my first name ended up being Dalton as a dancer here in Canada. And then he goes, you're a big guy. We got to give you a big name. And we tried to figure it out for a few minutes. And was like, okay, Dalton Strong. That's going to be your dance name, Dalton uh-huh. Strong. So we had that figured out in no time. And then within a couple of weeks, we put together this crazy, cheesy-ass Terminator act. And I was going out to do my first act. And, you know, from there, it just expanded, honestly, Leo. Just kind of like I started doing more creative stuff. And mm-hmm. I got to be one of the best in, in British Columbia here and, and started touring across Canada. And really, when it came down to it in the end here in Canada, I, I got I started doing contests and stuff that were outside of the bodybuilding contest realm, like the actual stripping contests that they used to have back in the day. And uh, won Mr. Nude Western Canada back in 97 and then ended up being second in Mr. Nude Canada. But what had happened was at that time, I kind of hit the pinnacle. I wasn't really, there's nothing much more that I could really do in the industry outside of trying to make some more money somewhere. So I had actually, when I was working at that original club as a topless waiter, I'd actually ran into this agent uh, that uh, from this dance review out of Florida. And he was the agent of this group that was the number one male dance review in all of North America at the time. They were really, really well respected. These guys had been around for a lot of years. They had their choreography down to a science, like just their stuff was just top notch, right? Mm-hmm. So they were like, and I don't even want to use the C world word, but they were kind of up there with the ch- guys that's what i was going to say but i know who you're talking about no but they weren't but they were like they were right up there in that realm right so anyways when there was 10 of those guys and so when what happened was um they all i called up this agent because he had given me his card when i was working in that club and he said if you ever want a job with us let me know and I said, okay, cool. And I kept that card for years. And I pulled that card out when I won Mr. New West or Mr. New Canada when I took second. And <laughs> I called him up and I said, hey, you know, he remembered me five years later. Huh. And he said, he says, oh, you've got perfect timing. Like my group's coming up there. There's a few guys that are coming up there, a bunch of new guys. And he said, they need to get to their shows on time. And so if you can get them to their shows on time and you can learn the choreography, you have a position in the group. And so I literally, this was at 26 years old at that time, um, I ended up leaving my family, my friends, everything that I knew and left Canada altogether and went to this new world of MTV beaches and beach clubs and just mayhem, right? So, and we went like straight across the country in a tour van three and a half days to get back, to get to Florida, a world that I'd never experienced. I'd never been in the Southern U.S., and so I literally went from like one polar opposite to the other in this, in this in- insane industry. And so now I didn't have to do the full nude stuff anymore. Now I was doing just G-string shows with the guys. So that was actually a benefit. And just it was more creative. And so that actually allowed me to really get excited about what I was doing. And I started creating really, really cool acts that were getting that adrenaline rush, that were getting that, that connection with my audience and that emotion out of my audience, which is why I started doing the stuff in the first place in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. So that was kind of a different world, right? So yeah, it's just crazy, man. And that, that whole time like went in, that's when I'd never done any, I'd never done any drugs in my life till I went to Florida. And then all of a sudden when I was in this, you know, 8,000 people in this nightclub, I've been there for like two, three days. And one of the main people from the club, like 
comes up to me and like we started chatting and he turned around and he was like oh he says you know do you want to try this and he gave me a little like he said was one of the guys that was in my group he'd been given some ecstasy he said you want to try this and i was just like i looked at him and i was like what's that thing going to do and i just kind of laughed about it and popped it in my mouth and then the next thing you know 45 minutes later a door to emotion opened up that i'd never experienced in my life okay yeah like that was like the, but that door that opened up was it opened it up in a big way really really fast so now i get all this emotion that i'd always been kind of hungry for and i taste this new sensation and the crazy thing was is like oh yes it opened a door but the door didn't take me to where i was wanting to go right like yeah. I, I had struggles and but I had so many good times like i'd say like so many good times but in the end, like it didn't bring me where I wanted to go. Like I had to get away from all that stuff in the end to truly find that connection with myself and to really truly find those things that I needed to work on internally. At that time, I didn't work on any of the internal stuff. I was just partying and having a good time and had a bazillion acquaintances and just had to keep up with the Joneses of partying in this club. Like it was just crazy. Especially at that young age. I mean, that it'll sweep you up quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was wild stuff, you know. So and so, <laughs> and then how long did this last? Now, in your bio, it says you actually ended up getting divorced. Were you married the yeah. entire time you were dancing, or when did you get married? And then, yeah. So that's an interesting story. Like, um, I, you know, th that was kind of like I got married in the year two thousand. So, like, when I was talking, the stories I was just talking about there, like that was when. You know, we're looking at 1996, 1998 when I first started kind of getting into that scene, right? So I kind of got, I got kind of enveloped into this MTV world for a while, and uh, you know, just kind of like, just like I say, a lot of people that were acquaintances, but not a lot of true friends, right? So yeah. like, you're kind of in this zone of, of always having a good time. So like, we were, you know being paid to to attract women inside the club. We were being paid to party at the club. Like it was just a 24 hour rolling craziness right so yeah i'd gotten to the point where i i'd had some back and forth with some some really great relationships that kind of like were really intense and then kind of fell out for for whatever reason and it was part of the environment that i was in and the stuff that i was doing without a doubt um and then all of a sudden uh we were doing a show me and my guys got booked out on the road and we were just south of macon georgia in this little uh this little club, I can't even remember the name of it offhand, but anyways, we were there and, and I happened to uh, just, I had this one of these crazy love at first sight moments with this one woman in the crowd. And it was like, all of a sudden we kind of connected and uh, we just, as, as opposite of planets as we were from and everything, we had this kind of amazing fairy tale beginning and uh, we dove deep into this whole emotional um, drug-induced, sex-addicted, crazy relationship that was very, 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 very codependent, and it was it it, it had its great moments of an intense honeymoon phase, but in the end, um, that couldn't sustain itself because there wasn't really enough uh, connection. There was a lot of communication, but not enough connection. And when the when I lost my sense of creativity by bowing out of the dance industry for a short time while I was married. Uh, that actually took away from my emotional feeling of excitement that comes with creativity. And I turned out not to be the same man that she married. And so we were only, we were together for about eight years. Okay, um, yeah. But in the end, uh, yeah, it was, it was, it was kind of one of those things that again, it just is a learning experience because um, as hard as it was for me and her to, to have our ending, um, I will say that it was probably the biggest, uh, one of the biggest learning experiences I've ever had in my life. It, it really humbled me in a lot of ways. 
Um, but it was one of those things that when you're, I guess, when you're not connecting and you're just trying to live a Ricky and Lucy lifestyle, like kind of like um, my parents that raised me were my grandparents. So I kind of mimicked what they were doing. And so I was taking a Ricky and Lucy marriage into the year 2000 and trying to basically have the hi, honey, I'm home. My wife's got the dinner on the table sort of thing. And it was just, it was so not the year 2000. So, so that, it's a superficial existence anyway. So Yeah. So it just ended up being like, and so in the end, what ended up happening was, is through my entire time of being on the road dancing and everything, I'd never cheated on my ex-wife like I never did. But in the end, through having ties that, that were not strong enough to bind and unfortunately having such a situation where we were pulled apart, um, she ended up cheating on me in the end. So what's crazy is, is that I held blame on her for probably almost 15 years after we divorced because I was just turning around and saying, how dare you pointing the finger? It's all your fault. And not really recognizing that that was the reason why our marriage degraded was because of my lack of creativity in my life, my lack of excitement. I changed. And so I was just as responsible for her actions as she was in my eyes. And I was at least 50% responsible for our demise of our marriage. And by actually saying that, I was able to heal that relationship and also heal it inside of me as well and was able to move on in the end. Well, absolutely. I mean, marriage is a partnership, so... Yeah. So yeah, it's a, it's, it's always it's a 50-50 thing. Yep, absolutely. Do you sometimes find yourself scrolling through the internet looking for articles to read only to find that you can't read through them all because you have other things going on? What if someone could read them to you while you tackle other tasks? Well, let me tell you about Newsly. Newsly is an all-in-one audio super app for iOS and Android. It picks up web articles about the most trending topics at any given moment and reads them to you in a natural human voice. Simply put, the entire internet becomes listenable, all in one place. Browse articles from topics you choose and you can follow any topic as specific as you'd like, from sports to science to Bitcoin it will find you the latest articles and read them to you aloud. And guess what? They have podcasts as well. Explore trending podcasts from over 50 countries. And yes, this podcast, Voluntary Input, is there too. Download and use Newsly for free now from www.newsly.me and use promo code voluntary input and receive a one month free premium subscription. You can also find this link and promo code in the show notes of this episode. So again, if you ever find yourself scrolling through daily articles, stop scrolling and start listening. Go to www.newsly.me, use promo code voluntary input, all one word, and receive a one month free premium subscription. So let, <laughs> let's move on to talking about what, what made you decide to write the book? Take it off. Yeah. Well, again, like I was saying earlier, I had kind of journal entried a lot of different stories and I had so many experiences and so many people that said, you should write a book, Corey. And so I decided to stop shitting on myself and finally just went ahead and started writing. And so um, 
the, the weird thing was, is I was in kind of a dark place, to be honest, Leo, when I started writing this book and I wasn't, it was kind of like, although I put down the stories and they were really good at the end when I'd finished it, I realized that it just wasn't enough. I could have released this thing almost a decade ago, but what happened was that I just realized that, yeah, the stories would sell because they are really entertaining, but what's somebody going to take from it outside of a bunch of, you know, crazy stuff that's happened in my past. And that is cool with a memoir, but to me, I saw a deep compromise in my core values in each and every chapter that I had written. And that was where I, through authenticity training and working with an amazing publisher and editor out of Ontario, Diana Ryers, uh, I work with a company called Daring to Share Global out there. And what they really train you to do is, is be really aligned with your authenticity. So when I was able to do that and figure these things out, I was able to go back into what I'd written. And what I found out was this. For example, in my first chapter of my book, it's actually called Goodbye Caterpillar, Hello Butterfly. And the first in the first chapter i had this my core value of truth was actually getting i had a struggle with it and my struggle was perspective and so here's an example of a funny little story from my first chapter of my book <laughs> when i was five years old and i didn't even understand what the definition of authentic authenticity even was in the first place i was being unintentionally inauthentic and so what happened was this my my, my aunt and my uncle they took me to the fair and they put me on a Ferris wheel and I actually got stuck at the top of this Ferris wheel and the car, the, the things creak and the seats creaking back and forth. I'm crying my eyes out. I'm just losing it as a kid. And I'm just freaked right out. So years and years and years go by and I have this like kind of like a little bit of a block of, of, of being able to go do anything to do with heights. Gee, I wonder why. And, you know, I, I hadn't, there were certain things I held myself back from doing in life. And I eventually went to my aunt and I said, Aunt Carol, I was like, can you tell me like why would you and you know my uncle put why would you guys put me on this ferris wheel as five years old like i just remember that was horrible and she just kind of laughed at me and i was just kind of stunned and i was like why were you even laughing and she said corey we were not at the fair like we were at the mall and i plugged a quarter in the thing it was maybe seven feet high like you were just <laughs> sitting there like bawling your eyes out on this thing losing it and we were just laughing at you and i was just like Okay, oh. so perspective, <laughs> yeah. perspective, truth, right, right? right? So that was inauthentic, and I didn't even realize what that even meant at that time. So I always give this example, like, have you ever gone um, back to your elementary school or been in an elementary school since you've been fully grown? Oh, yeah, and I the first time I walked in, I had to duck to right. walk in, and you don't, yeah, you don't remember that. It's like, oh, my gosh, these the, the ceiling. <laughs> exactly or the desks and the You're desks like, oh my god you can't desks. even sit in them you can't sit in them. yeah yeah <laughs> yes this is kind of what i think about when i think about this when i think that way i think as an adult i'm looking at these things and they're so little but as a kid I was on the other end of that. I was looking at something that was so little and made it so big, mm -hmm. right? So you're in this different lens. You're seeing it through this different <laughs> right. lens as you grow up, right? So that was what I kind of like even just injected, like I said, these that type of stuff into my book. Some of, them is, some of the stuff's funny. Some of the stuff is really straight to the point and serious. But what I'm saying is, is at the end, after I've ri had written the chapter, I decided to inject what I call the naked truth into it. Of course, going with my branding again, take it off, naked truth. But just saying like the naked truth is actually my undrug hazed, accountable, like responsible head writing what happened in that story when I wrote that in my dark time, sitting there going, okay, like 
you did good here, but you really messed up here. You didn't take this person into account. Your ego took over here. And I pointed my finger, I used my thumb and pointed it at myself instead of pointing at other people with my finger finally. And by doing that, it kind of made me kind of go, okay, it liberated me as a person after I finished the book. And that was where I provided far more value because what I kind of look at it, I look at it just a little bit like this. I hate to sound <laughs> creepy, but it's almost like, I'm going to show you mine, show me yours. If you're willing to get down to it, you really want to get in the weeds and you want to actually like address some of this stuff and you want to start connecting some of those dots. Like I have a way and a system that can do that. And I reveal like literally how I stuck to that system and I get my clients to reflect on that portion of my book and actually cross-reference it with my actual authenticity training. So that would be either one-on-one -on -one or video training where they can go through my facilitation. They can get to the end of the homework that they've done, read that chapter, reflect on the struggle that I went through, and then reflect on a struggle that they went through with their own set of values because everybody has a different set, right? And then more importantly, Everybody has a different set of feelings that are connected to those values. That even makes us more like snowflakes. So we're all different, truly. So what I kind of do is, is through my training, like there's there's step by step, each, each section has a different step to do with values, to do with emotional intelligence and authenticity, to do with triggers and the warnings that come with triggers physically, the, all these things that compile. And a lot of the time, what it really comes down to, my friend, especially when it comes down to for guys in particular, yep. is we block a lot of these things. Absolutely. We hold them back. We don't want to even freaking talk about it because it's too bloody uncomfortable. I do all this in a very, very, you know, confidential situation. It's not, there's no, there's never any talk outside of the room. But what I'm getting at is, is when somebody's willing to go there, they can actually look at that and go, okay, that connects the dot where I had this hardship that connects a dot where maybe I was doing things right. And so you can really tell when you're aligned and when you're misaligned very, very easily with doing what I'm doing. So it's never perfection. It's never going to be perfection. I still struggle with things as well, but all I'm saying is, is when those, that those arcs of intensity, those things that are actually like in your gut, when you're being triggered by something, you know, there's a reason why it's happening. And most likely it's not what you're thinking most of the time. It's something else emotionally that's coming in that's causing you to actually have this physical reaction in your body. So a great example I use is road rage. If you're out there on the street, it's not the guy that cut you off that you're really truly pissed off at. It's probably something else in your life that you're truly upset about that's got you to the point where you're pounding your fist on the steering wheel. It's not the guy that cut you off, right? So it's just kind of getting down to pinpointing where that came from. So just as an example, like if I'm feeling disconnected one day, I realized that my physical, I should say my actual feeling that is associated with my core value of relationships is connection. So if I'm disconnected, I realize that I'm on the opposite and that's not good. So I kind of can look at my relationships, whether it's my mom, whether it's my girlfriend, whether it's my friggin' boss, there's somebody in my relationship side of my life that's actually triggering this. That's what's happening. And I can actually go there and actually address that because I know where it's coming from. Right. But, but we're, it's just a matter of awareness. And a lot of the time we go through the slot machine of life, not being aware. And, and you, you hit the nail on the head, especially guys, that's men. It's talking about emotions and being emotional for a lot of men. It's, it's, it's a tough thing, which brings us to being man enough like what exactly is that because for me and i've i've been through this over the years myself the whole quote-unquote being a man mm. is challenging enough as it is and a lot of people 
don't think a lot of people understand that there's a gravity to that. Um, I, for one thing, I've always felt that people have this impression, well, you're a man, you're automatically assumed that you have to be the leader. Well, what mm-hmm. if I'm not, you know, what if I don't feel like being the leader? <laughs> what if I don't have the capability of being the leader, but you're mm-hmm. already assumed to be the leader because you're a man and then you tackle on enough Wow, what is that? So what is being man enough, Corey? What does that mean? You know, remember, you ever have somebody say, man up, bro? Yeah. <laughs> man up. Yeah. What the hell is that supposed to mean? More exactly. So, you know, what it, what it comes down to all I'm saying, Leo, is this, like, we've been marketed this bullshit from the day we were hatched. Absolutely. And really, like, it's like, it's like right down to, and I've said this in other podcasts, as much as I love the movie Top Gun from back in 1986, I, I look back at the old Tom Cruise scene when he's sitting there holding back his tears because his his buddy just got killed and he can't cry because he's too big of a man to do something like that. Right. And it's like, it's just, I really shed some light on this in my book. And it's just because like, I literally watched somebody that I looked up to as a superhero, my father, yeah. you know, and he was really a man's man. Like this guy was like, you know, he was a bridge builder. He freaking went through more shit than most people could ever dream of. My dad and he too. Came out the yeah. other end. Right. So, but yeah. there was a, there was a price that was paid, paid for that man enough status. And when it came down to it, those bottled up emotions that were in there really brought out a lot of things that were very inauthentic at the wrong times a lot not a lot of the time just every once in a while came out the wrong way so as much of a man as i looked at him in that respect he wasn't man enough to let it out and actually like let the emotions out when they needed to be let out and what i'm saying by that is why is it that we as a gender in a lot of ways are like looked down upon for shedding tears in a situation when we're grieving or when we're going through hell in our heads why is that like really it's wrong. It's actually a way for us to be able to actually like let go of that so we can stay authentic, so we can stay rational in our own heads when things are getting so bloody irrational. And so like to me, I look at it like, you know, when I was a kid, when I was a little kid, as far back as I can remember, I can remember crying to the point where I couldn't even remember why the hell I was crying anymore right. and having a temper tantrum to the point where my head actually ached because I'd cried so much. And then eventually when I stopped crying, I didn't even know why again I was doing it. I stopped and I felt this amazing feeling of relief that poured over my entire body why is that because it's actually your body releasing those emotions because it's healthy for yourself to do that when you bottle it all up it's totally unhealthy and causes disease dis-ease in your body so it's one of those things that i just look at from from this side of it and i I literally said this is a tagline in the last line of my or the last chapter of my book let the dam break before you damn break You know, like, don't let that come like that, man, because when it comes down to it, you're no less of a man for shedding a couple of bloody tears and and getting down to it and actually connecting with somebody and actually, like, being vulnerable enough to do that. I'm not saying to get sappy in tears because you spilled some milk on the floor. I'm saying when shit gets crazy... It's okay, you know. It's don't okay to so break down and cry, man. Sometimes you you just got to do it. it. It's that thing, right? So, but that came with you know bringing that masculine and that feminine together myself personally and going it's 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 not you don't have to go with that stereotypical bs of i'm the 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 hunter gatherer and if i'm anything less i'm shit Mm -hmm. because there's a reason why three out of four suicides right now here in canada are men and it really comes down to not just covid i understand covid is part of it but it's not all of it 
there's something there that's actually a stigma that's been put upon men that really we cannot we and we don't really have a lot there's not really a lot of funding to go towards actually this this actual mental health issue that a lot of men deal with we all deal with mental health every single one of us do that's what it comes down to if people don't, they say they don't have mental health issues i don't trust them <laughs> because everybody, I think everybody has it. Everybody's got, hey, like we, we said it earlier, everyone's made mistakes. So everyone's got something. Everyone's got scars. Right? Everyone's Shit, got scars. Yeah. Everybody. Right? So like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not that it's not that I have all the solutions. I'm not here to say that. But one thing I will say is from being on the pedestal that I was in, a lot of people assume that, you know, yeah, he was in this macho role. He was really confident. Guy had no problems at all. Of course, he felt, you know, all they make their assumptions of what it was like for me up there. But they have no idea the crap that was going on in my head when the lights went down, when I was maybe a bit back at the hotel room. When you're by, by yourself. Myself, yep. Right? Oh. I got no idea. Yeah. Not even a stitch of a clue. That's why you see a lot of entertainers. And I'm not saying in my, I'm, I'm talking way bigger entertainers than I ever dreamed of being, but I'm saying like even some musicians or some actors that all of a sudden at such an early age, they end up committing suicide and you wonder why in hell would they ever do that? I would love to have just spent just a minute in that in that body for just a second to be able to do what they do. But you don't realize that the the the, the layers that they have going on in their heads. So this is what comes where I come back to, and I'll wrap this full circle. Why I called my book "Take It Off." It's not about take it off, baby, ripping off your clothes. Yes, there mm -hmm. is an element of that, but it's actually taking off those layers. It's taking off those layers that have been stacked upon us, and it's not taking anything away from women as well, because women have a whole other expert expectation that's thrown upon them especially when it comes to the female dance realm as well like i Looks. look at that and i'm like wow <sighs> yeah that's a whole other door to open up because right. when you look at them they're getting judged by us guys sitting out in the crowd looking up at them and anything less than a hundred percent you're going to start picking that apart right so it's like it's like the, and they have to hustle so much harder and please so much more whereas for ladies night Man, I could go out on my worst day on a ladies' night. You just had to I had show up. That, yeah, I had guys that were rookies that shouldn't even have been out on the bloody stage, and the women were still screaming for yeah. them and having a good time because they're out there just to have a good time with their friends. And that, and, you know, and isn't, and I think you, time. yeah, you point out a, a, a perfect difference right there. The women go to have fun, and like you said, men go looking for this ideal yeah. they've painted in their mind of what yeah. a perf of a perfect woman dancing in front of them is. So yeah, sure. I could yeah, I could totally the, see the stress difference there. All you got to do as a guy yeah. is just show up because they're the women are just there to have fun. Guys yeah. are I'm here for the hottest babe, and she better be or yeah, nothing <laughs> less than 100 percent, right? Yeah, and it's like it's like it's just crazy. Like even when I think about the dynamic as far as the stereotype of what people thought of me, like I don't know how many people I thought of me that thought of me over the years that assumed that I was the biggest slut in the bar, assumed that I slept with everybody because of what I did. And meanwhile, that wasn't the case the majority of the time. Right. But then again, as a male dancer, through my eyes, a lot of the guys that I saw that were dancers, they treated a lot of the women like garbage because they turn around and go, yeah, guess what? All those women that come out to see us, they're all just a bunch of sluts. <laughs> Well, that's not true either. You just took advantage of him. <laughs> right. But that's not true. Like there's right. so many women that don't come to ladies night for that at all. They just come there to actually like get away from their family for a, bit, have have a good time with their fun. friends or whatever. Yeah. Right. Now, don't get me wrong. I saw a lot of other stuff go on in that territory too, yeah, but yeah. I'm just saying, no, I'm just saying not everyone, you can't give it all that stereotype on mm -hmm. either side. 
right? So just an interesting dynamic that I looked at that through. And then also seeing like, this is what I'm trying to kind of say is, is that my lens that I saw life through is a lot different than most because I lived this crazy life, right? I wasn't getting distracted by the, the, the typical corporate lifestyle. I was in this other kind of world for so many years. So even in here in Canada, like my agency required us to dance in gay bars. Well, I'm a straight guy. Right. Right. And I don't have anything. I mean, I have zero homophobia. In mm -hmm. fact, I have a lot of respect for a lot of my gay friends. What I'm saying is, though, is, is that as a straight guy, I heard that and I was like, oh, of course, instantly. What's what comes to mind? Fear, mm -hmm. fear of the unknown. You don't know what it's like over there. So I was of the mindset when I remember when I went to do my first show was, oh, my God, am I going to come out of here the same way that I went in? Like all these crazy thoughts that started going through my head. <laughs> and then I just realized when I was there that a lot of those folks were just there for acceptance in their own way. And that was actually a place where they were actually able to be accepted in a lot of ways where society wasn't accepting them. So right. that kind of woke me up to that as a guy kind of looking for acceptance in my own way. Right. So I didn't ever get disrespected in that scene at all. In fact, uh, I, had, I had really good relationships with people in that in that scene as well. So, but the irony, this was the irony of that was, is that I, that was just like weird to me that when I was looking, when I was in a, a female dance club and I'd see girls up there and the guys would be out in the audience and the end of every song, they'd be like, clap, clap, clap <laughs> at the end of every song. Right. It was ladies night is the exact opposite. You got shit going on. It's <laughs> like, what are you taking off, baby? Just going nuts the whole time. Right? Yeah. But guess what? In the gay bar scene, same bloody thing. Guys are watching you. You're doing your show. And there's the end of the song. Clap, clap, clap. <laughs> you know? And, you know I, I don't know what I was expecting, but it just seemed so weird to me. The whole dynamic was just so weird. And so I just... That same you know, mindset. We're looking for perfection here. <laughs> yeah. So, so again, hiding behind my alter ego and just doing a show. The show was the show. Yeah. And I left it on the stage thinking that I'd left it on the stage when I was married, but I didn't just leave it on the stage when I was married. I actually had gotten to the point where I started having this little crossover between my alter ego and my real true self, where I was kind of sitting there looking up on from my pedestal going, I've got so much going on. You need to change your shit. And I was kind of looking down at my wife going, you need to get your shit together. Meanwhile, do you know who you're with? <laughs> yeah. Do you know who you're with? Like the audacity that I even had to even feel wow. that way. About yeah. And then have her turn around and look at me and be like, thinking to herself, I'm sure without verbalizing it, well, you're not even willing to work on yourself yet. Yeah. You're sitting there asking this of me. So that's what I was saying. The power struggle with relationships is always very, very tough for me because I could never really have that, that understanding of my partners, right? Like I was never really, I was never really willing to go there. So it's, it's, it's really tough when you're, when you're in that position because you're never really satisfied because and, and the expectation that you have of someone else is just so high that they can they have, they have no chance of being able to make it. So when I look back at every single relationship that I was in at w when I was in that era, quite frankly, they I, I look back at those the people that I was together with and think to myself, in a way, I was a good guy to you, but I almost feel for you a bit. You because, didn't give them a like, chance because you kind of didn't, didn't give them a chance. chance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? Like it was so wrong in so many ways. So one of the hardest things I had to accept with my, my authenticity truthfully was with my ex-wife admitting to the fact as a man that I controlled someone. And I, I did, I controlled her. Like I, she asked, she wanted me to control her, but I controlled her. And it was so, so toxic to do that. And I would never let her grow. And you know, like that's, it's the last thing that I wanted to ever be. That's not the way I never wanted to even be egotistical, but I found that in the end I was, I had my, my fair share of that too. Yeah. So, but in the end, honestly, Leo, it's bloody liberating and it feels like I've taken off so many layers actually because I can go back to the people that I was inauthentic with and say, hey, 
Well, know, not to I mention, not to mention, I think the best thing though is you can take all of that and help other people. Yeah, especially 100%. help help other people struggling with the same things you were struggling with. So that's always, in my opinion, that's always a win. Five letters an expert man or an experience. And I just want to go on record as saying I was never a huge fan of Top Gun. Uh, <laughs> I know, I know, I, the movie never really. I, I thought it was okay. I mean, I liked the the planes. That was literally literally about it. I'm like, I don't. It's all right. That's so funny, man. That's I know so people funny. love that movie, and I'm probably gonna get hate mail. But eh, yeah, you're right. probably gonna get it all now. You're gonna have trolls just hitting you up. How dare you slam How Tom Cruise? Dare you? So, so forever. <laughs> so how long has the book been out now when did you release uh, actually, it yeah january 18th is when it came out I actually hit the amazon bestseller list um we hit number four i think from memoirs and then it was oh like, really uh, yeah and then um it was a person it was one of the seven for personal development i think it was so yeah it was pretty good it was a good launch and stuff um but now it's not so much about the book as it is about adding more value for me um the book is great i love the book i've actually <laughs> it's kind of funny when i read back through it i'm like oh i haven't wrote that like it's almost hard to believe it's you know but but at the same time like um you know, now it's it's more so about giving providing more value. So what I'm trying to quite frankly do is is like I say, like um, really really help out that demographic of people that were, that are willing to go there. Like and right. and I've found quite frankly that the women in particular that have read my book have kind of been like, wow, I want to hand this over to my husband to have him have a read of this just to kind of like just to kind of understand that because because like a lot of people don't they don't want to go there. But the cool thing is, is when you do go there, actually, like I say, it can really solidify some things and give you some ground posts to attach to as far as your, just to be able to kind of understand where, where you're, if you're straying away from things, how to kind of be able to kind of keep yourself aligned and centered back where you need to be. So, um, again, um, to me, an authentic leader is not only someone that obviously is looking for feedback from others, but somebody that wants to actually gently guide somebody in the right direction without necessarily telling them what to do, but Absolutely. leading by example, yeah. lead by example. And, and I've led that, I've walked that walk, like I said, you know, for those five letters in, in expert or in experience. And so for me, I've, I've had that literal experience and, um, you know, I just, I just kind of feel that, that, that where I can give back to, to society and the way that, that it's given so much to me as far as finally finding that at this age, uh, I just want to do the same for other people because it's made just that much of an impact. So when I think about self-help and in, in this realm, there's a lot of regurgitated information. Like there's only so much of this stuff you can spin out there. Um, to me, it's just more so I want to go at it, at, at it in a very unique way where I can still ed entertain, inspire, and educate at the same time. And that's through, you know, giving them that portion to read as far as the book side, but really working directly with people to to kind of drill down and, and kind of give them the same thing that, that I got from my training in the first place. So it's kind of a fun way of doing it in a weird way um, as well, because because it's, it's just an original way of, of, of going into that type of a realm. And, and I just, I don't know, like I said, like I, it, it feels really amazing for me when I, when I, I actually get the goosebumps when I'm, when I'm flowing and I'm in a position where um, somebody's really listening to what I'm saying and they're benefiting from it. And that goes back to where I started when I was personally training people back in the day. My, my personal trainer always said it straight up. He was like, this is all just common sense. You just need somebody to tell you. And that kind of is true. It's all just common sense. You just need somebody to give you the roadmap. And right. Or, you know, or unlock it. Because sometimes we just keep, like you said, you keep pushing it down and shoving it down for so long. 
you kind of forget something. until you unlock it. Then it's like, oh yeah. Hey, unknowingly, man. Yeah. Unknowingly, you know, I did that exact thing. Um, my, my, my mentor, she actually did something with me that unlocked a block for me and it was the coolest thing ever. And since then I've been really on a really good, clear path with this, but it really was crazy for so many years. I kept thinking to myself, man, the Buddha life just keeps on. Like every time I get to the top of the mountain, it keeps booting me back down. And I kept like blaming the world for all the shit that was happening to me. And always saying, Oh, something's going to come up next and do it. And I was almost manifesting it. It was so bad. Right. Right. Um, you know, but what was crazy was I didn't really realize, but what I was saying about when we first started this conversation about words being so important from the people that are closest to you and your family. And, you know, when you're looking for support, sometimes you're disappointed when the closest people to you don't necessarily give you support. And that can be because they're normalizing you or maybe they just don't feel that your support is even, their support is even worth it or means enough. But for, for me, my closest relationship really was my grandma and my grandfather who raised me. And I'll never forget it. I think eight years old, I was sitting there in the kitchen and she literally looked at me and she said, Corey, you're a follower, not a leader. You know, and maybe at that moment, Leo, I might have been a follower. Maybe I was running around with some stupid <laughs> kids doing some stupid stuff. I might have been. Yeah. But, you know, when she said that to me and the way she said that to me, just the way she said it, it just bore like just a hole. Like it was just like boom. And it hit so hard that it embedded. And she didn't. And the weirdest thing was this. I, I, she I was as I was mentioning about my definition of a true leader being somebody that gently guides you in the right direction. Um, you know, my, my, my mentor, she said to me, she said, I want you to take this for homework tonight after you define this, you know, what you feel is a true leader. Um, she said, I want you to, to, to write down a time when your, your grandfather was a true leader in your life. And when your grandmother was a true leader in your life. And so I went back to thinking about it. Now they're both passed away. So I, I went back to thinking about it and I was like, well, you know, my grandfather, he was like, he worked really hard. He brought in money. He kept food on the plate. Like it was all the things that, you know, he was just the head of the household. Right. 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 Um, so he did, you know, so they both did so many things. Right. But what ended up happening was when I looked at when he came home, he actually would come home, sit in front of the TV, usually throw a newspaper in front of him and read the news, kind of communicate when he wanted to, but not really like kind of really, it was just kind of small talk sort of stuff. And, but he was like, a, it was, like I said, authentically a good man. Now my grand, my grandmother, she was kind of, and I hate to say this, but almost a default housewife. And I'm not saying that a housewife is not a job. In fact, it's a harder job than a lot of jobs that are out there. Guaranteed. Yeah, it, she was one but, of the uh, old school, but, old school. Yeah. Right. She was yeah. one of the old school. So when I looked at her as a leader, that only went so far as well. So when I came back to talk to my mentor about it, I explained that to her and she said, okay, so what you're trying to say here is, is that you don't have an answer for me as far as what your, your, in particular, your grandmother, as far as leadership goes. And I said, well, no. And she said, well, then, then now you have your answer as far as why she said you're a leader or you're a follower and not a leader. And I was like, she was speaking about herself. And I just kind of had this moment where I was like, wasn't me. And so that kind of took that block and smashed it right out of my head. And ever since then, I've just kind of been like, hey, you know, because I honestly, Leo, I went into job positions at times where I was offered management positions or, or going in, in whatever it was. And I was like, no, I'll settle for where I'm at. I was in my comfort zone. Well, I, it, it took me years to learn because, um, you know, it's also drilled into you. You got to be a leader. You got to be a leader. Uh, there's nothing wrong with being a follower. The, the key is who are you following? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> That's the key yeah. because some yeah. people just aren't, they, you know, it's not, and it, it, people not have boring. to get over it. It's not a bad thing. If you're not a leader, there's nothing wrong with that. The, yeah. but if you're a follower, 
make sure you're following the right people. I think for myself, I was really able to lead like my own life, like through my lens, I could, I could lead what I could control. But when other people were relying on me is what I'm kind of saying to, to be that guy to step up to the plate, I wouldn't be willing to go there. Like I would kind of avoid it. And so that was just me. Right. And so, yeah, that was just kind of my situation. So it's just an example, but you know, again, these things like, I mean, so many people in this world have things so much worse. All these things that I've talked about are so minimal in the equation, really, when it comes right down to it. But I'm, all I'm saying is, is through my perspective, this is how it's affected my life. Right, right. Right. And so I'm not here to, you know, say anything when somebody else has gone through big T traumas that require true therapy on a high level. Like that's a different, that's a different league. Oh but, yeah. <laughs> you know, but where I'm at, I know I can help people that have struggled with my stuff. And I'm just trying to talk to the 30 year old guy that was going through all that shit that I was going through 22 years ago. So then what's, what's next conferences? Are you, do you do speaking engagements? Uh, yeah, honestly, man, I'm opening up one garage door at a time. And right now I'm just at the point where I'm, I'm actually finishing some stuff with my video courses to go onto my website right now. Cause I want to awesome. do video courses and one-on-one um, -on -one training. So I'm projecting for April when that's done. I'm just actually finishing my official certification for authenticity coaching. So um, as much as I would love to say I'm, I'm right there, I'm going to be there in the next week or two, but I'm not quite there today. Um, but by the time your audience gets this, they can definitely come onto my page and have a look at it um, when that does pop up. And I'll be more than happy to for your audience in particular. Um, I'll even call it a 20% discount on uh, anything on my page actually for uh, uh, for your audience and I'll put it as Leo code. So L E O C O D E. Awesome. Um, and, and the, then if you, if they're interested in either the book, the book with the course or, you know, wh whatever package deals that I have coming up here in the future, they'll get that discount on that. And yeah, gives a little bit of a buffer zone for the shipping on the book because shipping the book from Canada is not cheap in the first place. So we've got to give back a little bit there, but yeah, no, that that's the, and, and you know, like I say, I, I'm trying to, to drive people towards my website to, to, to have a look at the training and uh, just have a taste test of what, what, what it could do for you, right? Because like I said, it's done so much for me and um, I'm really excited to see what 2022 is going to bring now because the book's been selling well, but I'm not, I'm not satisfied with just the book. Like I really want to, in, in my own way, to be able to impact this world in the right way within my bubble, I'm going to do whatever I can to, to start having people dive into the gray area in this world a little bit more instead of it being so tribal and so black and white. I want to try my best to get people to understand one another a little bit better and especially understand themselves a little bit better. So that's my mission for this next little while for sure. Awesome. And we need more people like you. Absolutely. Yeah, so, so where, where can they, where is your website? Yeah, it's uh, takeitoff.ca. Uh, if you go there, you can definitely catch the book right now is on there. Um, and then for that matter, if you want to, if you're looking at other options to get the book, I mean, through the book, you'll get a signed car through the website, you'll get a signed copy. Uh, but the book is available on Amazon, of course. Um, it's Take It Off Revelations of a Male Exotic Dancer. And as well, it can be found in Barnes and Noble in the States and uh, Chapters Indigo here in Canada as well. So, but the best place, as I said, if you want the signed copy, it's worth it to get a signed copy. I try to be original with every signature I do. So yeah, go to takeitoff.ca to be able to get it there. And uh, yeah, that's really about it for right now. And we'll put all this in the show notes so people can get right to it as well as the code uh, for the discount when you're ready for them. So yeah. don't want to keep you much longer. It looks like we've hit about an hour here. So <laughs> I want to yeah, thank you, Terry. I want to thank you, Corey, for coming on. Uh, powerful insights because, you know, a lot of men, a lot of guys, we struggle with that same thing. It's really, it's not so much of what was your story as it is. 
how are you dealing with those emotions and are you dealing with them? I think that's the biggest takeaway here is a lot of guys, we just don't deal with it and things tend to go wrong at that point when we don't. So, you know, I'll, I'll end it with this, my friend. And this is something I just thought of when you were just saying that, you know, we're all walking around this rock and we're all living life and we all focus so much on our birthdays and we're all saying we're getting older and all that stuff. Right. But when it comes down to it, it's not so much about your birthday as much as it is your death day. Some of us are walking around still and we're already dead, you know, drain that tank right out, live life. I, I take that. I take that from Trent Shelton. I admire Trent a lot as far as his speaking ability and his unscripted raw side of him. He tell, talks from the heart because he, had somebody they lost from suicide in his life, you know, and mm-hmm. all they can say is it means a lot, right? Like those, those things, you got to think about that sometimes that, you know, we're, we're, we're all trying to do the best we can in this world. And I don't know, to me, it's just like, there's, there's a certain amount of us that just aren't living life. And I get COVID's come into the equation, but still there's, there's, there's a lot of, I, this was happening there. before COVID. Yeah. Yeah. Man, it's always a been a thing. Life. And like I said, we could use more people like you stepping up and helping because every little bit of help, you know, has an impact and so thank you for doing what you do thanks for sharing your story and taking the time to to write a book i mean that's a feat in and of itself and then to want to go ahead and and go ahead and continue beyond that is is admirable so like i said we need more people in the world like you it's a strong enough mission that i've detached from all relationships all career and everything and i'm all in on this i'm going to give it everything i got because it's that important if i in the end if it doesn't work out i give it everything i got but that isn't going to be the case so hey you wouldn't be faulted for not trying so there's that (laughs) there you go all right thanks again for coming on and as always folks if you want uh to find out more we'll put all this in the show notes And as always, if you have any questions or comments, just go to voluntaryinput.com. There you can select contact us if you have any questions or comments or show ideas. Or if you'd like to be a guest on the show, just select register as a guest. We'd love to have you on because we're always looking for great guests like you. Thanks again, Corey. You're you're welcome back anytime. Oh, you're the man. Got lots of more stories. We can talk all the crazy stories next time. Hey, well, yeah, we'll make it a we'll make an ex, uh, truly explicit show next time. There you go. Yeah, trigger warning for trigger your audience. Warning. Trigger warning. All righty, take care. We'll see you. Thank you. Cheers.